This is Leader ReadyCast, a monthly podcast featuring real-world lessons, best practices, and action-oriented insights for the urate moments when you're called upon to lead. Leader ReadyCast is the official podcast of the National Preparedness Leadership Initiative, a joint program of the Harvard T.H. Chan School of Public Health and the Center for Public Leadership at the Harvard John F. Kennedy School of Government. Subscribe to Leader ReadyCast wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Hello, I'm Eric McNulty, and welcome to Leader ReadyCast. It's too often said that government can't get anything done, but in truth, a lot gets done if you know how to do it. Education, the infrastructure, and more, the needs have never been greater. The role of government is, is incredibly important, but the challenges are daunting. The opportunities to meet the needs and exceed expectations are great as well. And my guests today have an impressive record of accomplishment together and separately. They're gonna talk about how we get these things done. The Honorable Charlie Baker is Governor of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, and Steve Kadish is Governor Baker's former Chief of Staff and is now a Senior Research Fellow at Harvard's Kennedy School of Government. We're happy to have him on the Harvard team. And together, they've written a terrific new book called Results, Getting Beyond Politics to Get Important Work Done. I've read it, and I really highly recommend it. I think you'll find very, very useful advice in here. And today, we're going to explore their insights on, on just that. How do we get the work done, getting above the partisan fray, identify the problems and actually deliver results for for constituents. So Governor Baker, Mr. Kadish, welcome to Leader ReadyCast. Governor, let me start with you. Many times elected officials, they write, they'll write a memoir, they'll chronicle their time, they'll want to memorialize all that they've done. But you and Steve instead decided to do a more of a how-to book to help others in government serve their communities more effectively. What was the impetus behind writing this kind of practical guide? Well, first of all, um, thanks for having us on. We really appreciate it. I, I would say a couple of things and then I'll leave Steve to go where he wants to go. But, but for us, this started with an idea that we would put together a paper on how we work and how we got things accomplished. And, and you should know that Steve and I have worked together in both the public and private sector on and off for the better part of almost 30 years. And and I think in some respects that has something to do with um, why this was an interesting topic to both of us. And, and we both believe in public service. And I spent 15 years of my professional career in state government, either as a cabinet secretary or as, a, or as governor. And Steve has spent about the same, maybe more, um, in addition to our time together in the private sector. So for us, the, the question about accomplishing goals understanding that how is every bit as important as what and why and and building what I would describe as a credible case for uh, why government's important and why it matters and why it does get stuff done that's important to people uh, especially in this day and age was important to us and and I think what started is the idea of maybe doing a paper um, once we started working through the examples suddenly realized we had a lot more than just a few and and that became the sort of beginning of the book. I will say this, you know, we first started talking about this in 2017. We didn't get around to finishing it until where, where are we now, 2022. <laughs> so we're not exactly speed merchants when it comes to this stuff. But I, I don't think for us, the idea of a memoir was ever very interesting. This was much more about trying to put something together that could help people who care about public service, work in public service, um, know how important it is to, to deliver on the on the message of the goals and the expectations and the aspirations is, and, um, and to try to give them a, a framework for doing that kind of work. 
Well, in defense of your writing speed, you had a couple of things going on between 2017 and 2022. So I think you're forgiven. Steve, any thoughts on this, on, on how the book came together? I'll just add that the, the idea of the book was to really fill the, it's not a complete void, but the, um, the hunger for how there's quite a bit of attention and literature and good stuff written on the policy pieces and the budget pieces, but less on how. And so we kept coming back to this in that we wanted to put pen to paper, so to speak, about the methodology that we, in terms of how we approach things, and it was a learned methodology and so that was the idea of the framework. And then finally, I'll add is, is that we both believe that good public services really matter and that they really can serve as one of the bulwarks for our institutions and our democracies. And the idea of focusing on this hunger for how was uh, our way of uh, contributing. Well, and you mentioned the framework. You've got a, a really clear, concise four-step process in, in the book. Steve, could you take us through the, the four steps and, and briefly tell us how they work together? Yeah, I'll, and, and, and I'll, Eric, I'll try to be brief. And, uh, and, and here we go. There are four parts and each part is important. And no part by by itself hangs, uh, you know, is is going to be sufficient. But we always start with people. The governor actually started using the phrase "people are policy" at least fifteen years ago. It might have been twenty years ago, and he keeps coming back to it. And the reason that we start with "people are policy" is that, you know, for us it ends up being the structural umbrella for everything. Without people, you simply cannot act. And that by people, we mean not just the selection of the leaders, which are incredibly important, but the full team and, and having the full capacity to actually act. The second piece is follow the facts. Facts define the problem and provide navigation points for a response. And we think of facts in two ways the kind of facts that most people think about, we call data evidence, the size of the problem, the trends, the numbers, the context, the dollars, uh, the staffing, what are the triggering events, seasonal, seasonal impacts, et cetera. And then the second thing that I think has really helped us with getting at problems is what we call points of pain. And these are the stories, the anecdotes, that often come directly from interviews of the people who are being served and importantly, the people who are delivering the service. And we're trying to get at what are the problems in, in reality stories and then what needs to be done to be fixed. The third piece, uh, no surprise, we call the focus on how. And this is where the most time and the most resources are, are put. And there are two elements here. The first is what to do. Um, the program, the policy, the tech pieces, 
the changes, we think about that in, in effect as the charter of what needs to be accomplished. And then the second element of that is how to do it. How are you organizing the work? Is the governance and decision-making structure clear? Is the project approach clear? Do you have the dedicated resources to do it? And then the, the fourth piece of the four-part uh, framework is the push for results. And here you've got people, you're focused on the facts and the problems. You've got a clear charter about what to do. You're heavily focused on the actual uh, delivery of the changes and the improvement. And the push for results is the use of metrics as the honest objective evaluation of how's it going. And from here, we measure, we evaluate and discuss, discuss and then adjust. And we repeat this. And I think this measure, evaluate, discuss, adjust, repeat, it has really become a mantra for our most successful work. That's terrific. And it is a very logical approach to things. Governor, how did this process help you navigate the many challenges of COVID? First of all, the two big things it probably did with respect to COVID was number one, the people, you know, we've been choosing people, picking people, obviously, for for five or six years at the point that COVID happened. And people were already sort of used to a couple of things about the way we worked, which is number one, we believe that this is a cross-functional operation state government. You know, the, the silos that exist in the public sector are well-known and profound. But if you work in our administration, you've probably already worked long before COVID on a variety of initiatives that crossed over between agencies and secretariats. The second thing it did was it gave us sort of a, a blueprint for going after the issues we had to go after and a way to prioritize where to start. And, and I think both of those things mattered a lot. The other thing, because of the constant shifting of the sands underneath us, the ground underneath us that went on with COVID pretty much in the beginning, um, we were pretty good at pivoting and adjusting based on the data as it became available and adjusting our policies and our practices in real time. And, and I think that made a really big difference too. The, the, the hardest part about COVID from the beginning, in addition to the fact that you know nobody had enough gear and nobody had enough knowledge and nobody knew exactly what the right thing to do was, the other thing that made a big difference um, for us was uh, this idea that Steve just talked about, which is being honest with yourself about what's working and what's not and being willing to make adjustments when you realize what you're doing isn't exactly getting you where you want to go. And that is a really hard thing to do in the public sector because people want to believe that um, if their mission is real and their, and their commitment is real and their motive is real, that eventually it will work. And, and all of those things can be true, but if you're not chasing it the right way, at the end of the day, it's not going to work. And, and I think one of the things we got pretty good at, and I think still are pretty good at, is if we're not, if we're not getting what we want out of the way we're going about trying to solve a problem, build a program, you know, acquire goods, whatever it might be, we're pretty honest with ourselves about it. And we make adjustments and we accept the fact that we are then going to have to tell everybody that the way we were going at it wasn't working and we're making adjustments. Um, and that's a hard thing for people to do in the public sector. And, and you don't like to do it all the time, but 
but it's kind of fundamental to your ability to actually get things right. And that's definitely a habit that I think most of our senior leadership team got pretty comfortable with. Well, and that's good to hear. I know that also working a lot with the public sector that often people think that the policy is the result. It's like, well, no, the policy is giving you some direction to achieve the result, but you actually have to look and see what happens on the ground when you try and implement the policy. And I know we get to observe that here in the Commonwealth firsthand, those of us who are here and uh, I think the administration did a terrific job overall, as you say, adjusting to the, the constantly shifting uh, context in which you were operating. Steve, I want to shift gears just a little bit here because you did serve as the governor's chief of staff. And I think you know, for those of our listeners who have, who have uh, either not worked in an organization with a strong chief of staff or haven't had a strong chief of staff in that position, you know, what's the importance of a chief of staff and, and what makes for one effective in that role? You know, Eric, the, the chief of staff for every, in every role is going to be different. And it's, it, it depends tremendously upon the person that the, uh, the, the, the chief of staff is serving. And I'll, I'll start off with that. I honestly was surprised that the governor asked me to be his chief of staff. I'm a lifelong Democrat. He's a lifelong Republican. Uh, but it said an awful lot uh, to me and to others, but to me is that what he was, the governor was looking for was not your partisan credentials, but right from the beginning, and the governor will speak about this, is it was about problem solving. And so for, I'll speak to this governor and what I believe that he thought was important in the chief of staff, and he can correct and amend, but <laughs> Um, first, I, I thought it was really important to be organized and that the meetings were organized, the office structure was organized, the information flow was organized, that it was, you know, as much as possible efficient, accurate, that we were organized. The second, and the governor just referred to this, is that he was looking for somebody that was a team builder. Right, right off the top with the lieutenant governor and everybody in the governor's office, extending on to the cabinet. And the idea of a team builder, a person who would be supportive in building the overall team was really important. The third idea and, and an, is really a, a person who would enable the flow of ideas. And governor's a voracious reader, uh, impossible, I, I think, actually to keep up with, but that he was always looking for, you know, we like this quote from John, John, F, John F. Kennedy, not the Republican idea or the Democratic idea, but the right idea. And so he was, he's always in, in the role of the chief, it was always looking at the enabling of the, the, the flow of ideas. And then the last thing, um, uh, he was looking for a problem solver, and in my case, an ops person, a person who understood the the intersection of technology, policy, uh, politics, finance. And for me, um, the title chief of staff, I really found that the more you focused on the word staff, helping, supporting, pushing, guiding, and not so much about chief. That was a role that I was comfortable with. 
That's great. And Governor, I want you to, to add, add an amend as you'd like, uh, but in a somewhat larger context, thinking of the chief of staff, but also the other people who had to lead up to you. You know, one of the things that we at the National Preparedness Leadership Initiative do, we work with a lot of career people senior in senior roles who have to lead up to an elected official. What makes someone effective in leading up to you, be that as chief of staff or in one of your other cabinet roles or as a, in a senior public safety role? Well, I guess I, let me start by saying, first of all, that typically most elected officials choose as their chief of staff, their campaign manager or somebody who is very politically aligned with them because they view it as an issues management job. And, and I, I never thought about it that way. I always thought about it as, you know, sort of as close as we get in government to a chief operating officer. And, and that's why I was a lot more interested in somebody with Steve's skills. I mean, Steve, we're, we're all kind of built in a certain way, right? And when a problem comes before us, you know, a political people will th political person will think about it as a political problem. Um, a marketing person will think about it as a marketing problem. An operations person will think about it as an operations problem. And um, and then Steve, I knew, would think about all the stuff that came whistling into his office um, as operations problems to be solved. And uh, and for me, that was exactly what I was looking for. And in some ways, the message I was trying to send, which was um, that we are really going to be about the work. And and that's what makes, honestly, a lot of people who are sort of the careerists that you talk about crazy about the electeds, right? Because the <laughs> careerists, more often than not, are interested in the work. And the electric, the electeds, in some cases, are are more interested in the in the messaging and the um, and, and <laughs> sort of diffusion of responsibility, for lack of a better way to put it. And um, and and I think the one thing I think most people would tell you about our administration is, if you come to us with a problem, we will try to solve it. We're not going to punish you. We're not going to humiliate you. We're not going to spot you. We are going to try to solve it. And. Um, and I think that's the thing careerists want most out of their electeds that they report to and work for and work with is that they will focus on solving the problem. Now, you know, obviously, if you have a big problem, you don't tell anybody about it. Um, that's a whole other story. And we made very clear to people early on that no one will be punished for bringing us a problem. Right. But we will have a very dim view of those who who choose not to tell us that there's a problem until it, you know, until the, you know, the, the small infection becomes an amputation. Um, and that's another thing, obviously, that I think we tried pretty hard to do is to keep the flow of information moving so that people would feel comfortable letting us know when there was a problem so that we could actually do something about it before it became a catastrophe. And, and that is oftentimes one of the biggest challenges between what I would call the sort of elected crew and the, those who are the direct appointments of the elected crew and the careerists, which is how do you create enough of a relationship between, um, between the, the professional staff and the, the folks who come with the administration so that there is, as Steve said, that free flow of information back and forth between both. No, I really like what you said there because there's a lot of talk about telling truth to power but I think it's equally important for, for those in power to be willing to hear it, because if you're not willing to hear it, people won't tell it. And um, I, you know, what, what you've talked about there is, is so important to a healthy relationship. So the information gets up and down the, uh, and across the government in, in appropriate, at an appropriate pace and to the right people so they can do something about it. Um, 
Steve, what do you think about that in terms of how the governor has described that and how and how you worked in the administration to try and create that flow and, and make sure people were getting the information they needed? I, I'm going to say a, a few things that I think are important, not only for, um, you know, leading up to a person like Governor Baker, but in other roles. But one is do your homework, know as much as you can about an issue and be honest and open to what you don't know and what still needs to be done. The second is every leader I found always will respect knowledge. And they're also looking for know-how, like how are we gonna actually tackle these issues? What are my options, how to do it? So to be able to bring the knowledge and the know-how together is really important. And then the last thing uh, I'll say is um, act with respect to everyone. Don't don't be different in you know in one set of conversations than you are in another. And you know act with courtesy and act with respect. Great, always good watchwords. Courtesy and respect will get you a long way in almost any situation. So lightning round now for both of you. And Steve, I'm going to start with you and Governor. I'll let you I'll let you finish this off. What are one or two potential potholes or traps that might surprise people when they come into government if they either are stepping out of a career role into an appointed role or if they come <clears> from the private sector into the public? What should they be watching out for so they they don't get uh, they, they don't fall into the pothole or they survive the trap? Steve, I'll start with you. Yeah, um, I'm going to flip it a little bit. I I have found that people who come from the private sector in these very high profile roles are surprised at the talent they find in, in the public sector. Um, and, uh, I, you know, I, I hear that comment a lot. The pothole that I would, um, relates to this, and it's about people, is um, you need to continually focus on people, retaining your talent, hiring new people. Um, and it takes, it can take, a long time to do that. You need to be relentlessly focused on the the, uh, the 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 care of your talent and continually bringing in new talent. And it's got to be a priority. After um, the first year, I began to think of myself as chief recruiter and not chief of staff because getting the the right people in place was so was so important. Thank you. Governor, what are your thoughts? What are some things that might surprise people coming into government? You've been in both private and public sector. How do you make the most of that transition? Well, I would, I would echo Steve's comment about most of the people I know in the private sector who come, came into our administration anyway, and we had a lot who fit that category, were really impressed with the quality of the subject matter expertise among the people they were dealing with. Their biggest comment about state government generally is it's not organized in a way that makes a lot of sense. And, you know, that is something that I think is very much sort of fundamental to government generally, which is, you know, in, in, in the private sector, you know, structure follows strategy, right? You make a decision about where you want to go and how you want to do it. And then you build an organizational structure to get there. Um, government, <laughs> you're always debating strategy in government. And so it's very hard to, I think that's gonna be continue. that's always a challenge. I think the other thing is Steve kind of hit on it a little bit, 
Most of the people who come in to state government, particularly from the private sector, take a big cut and pay to do it. Folks that we've had coming in, particularly from the private sector, have said on a number of occasions that um, the, the, the subject matter expertise they, met, they found when they came into state government was every bit what um, they would have found in the, in the private sector. The big thing they said was just the organizational structure is, um, let's just call it uh, not necessarily suited for the strategy that people are pursuing. And, and it's very hard to change the structure of government. And that is one of the great challenges that we all face because it's a 21st century economy and we're fighting like mad to figure out how to make it work in a 20th century operating model. And that's just a fact. And it's one of those things that will constantly be a challenge for us um, going forward. I think the other big thing people need to learn and understand coming in is how, uh, how different it is to make decisions in a fishbowl than it is to make decisions in the private sector where for all intents and purposes, it's basically your customers, your, 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 uh, your owners and your employees who are the ones who are really paying attention to what you're doing. And, and that's an audience usually you can sell a change to and go for it. But in government, um, everybody and anybody um, including the, the media, the bloggers, the social media. I mean, everybody's got an opinion about what you're up to and what you're doing. And if you try and change something, um, you're going to find yourself. And, and for a lot of people in the private sector who come into government, that's a jarring experience. Okay. Um, I know we're at time. So my last question for both of you, and it's a hard question to ask with the Red Sox in the last place, but as you look forward, what gives you hope? Steve, let me start with you. We'll give the last word to the governor. And maybe it's in part because I, I have the opportunity to meet so many um, people who are really aspiring and want to do more in the public sector, but it's the um, it's the young talent that is uh, is uh, that is coming into the public sector. It's the honestly, it's the future generations and their ideas in terms of how to approach things. They're so talented, so diverse, so hungry. I, I hope that they will, um, and I know they will, learn what we did that was boneheaded and not do it. And, you know, hopefully pick up a few things that we've done and run hard and fast. Thank you. Governor? Well, I, I think I agree with Steve. I mean, the, the kids that we were working with and they, they're kids to me, I'm 65. So if you're under the age of 40, I think you're a kid. They were terrific and enormously talented, enormously committed and perfectly willing to, to, to make adjustments if what we were doing wasn't working and to try something else. I, I think the other thing I would say is that I actually have a tremendous amount of faith in the people of the Commonwealth and the people of the country. And I think I, I happen to believe that, and, and, and this will sound really naive, um, that we are not as divided as the social media platforms and, uh, and the media generally would lead you to believe. Media overall these days survives on conflict, outrage, and clicks. And, um, and that means most of the way issues get presented and, and government in particular gets presented tends to be at what I would call, you know, 180 decibels. But the vast majority of the people that I deal with every day when I'm out and about, and I spend a lot of time out of the office, are much more 
focused on what our book talks a little bit about as the actual practical experience they have with government services. And, and this is something honestly that I think gets lost in, in a lot of the, the sort of public debate generally, which is what people really, um, people are way more practical than they get credit for. And everything amongst neighbors and communities, you know, they're, they're, they're tense moments and all the rest, but, um, but I think we as a, as a country and as a society um, have, if people live in two worlds, you know, the folks who live in the, in the, the media and the social media world, um, everything's a fight and a crisis, but most Americans um, and certainly most people in Massachusetts really don't see what's going on quite like that. And I, and I think it's, um, I think it's, it's too bad. And I, and I really do hope that we move toward a, a point in time where people really do recognize and understand that what the vast majority of people, um, not just here in Massachusetts, but around the country want is they just want, they want their government to work better. And that's a very different issue than what dominates a lot of what passes for political discourse these days. I think that's going to resonate with a lot of people. My guests today have been Governor Charlie Baker of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts and Steve Kadish. Together, they have written a terrific new book, Results, Getting Beyond Politics to Get Important Work Done. Thank you both for being here. And to our listeners, until next time, always be ready to lead. Thank you. This has been another episode of Leader ReadyCast from the National Preparedness Leadership Initiative. Subscribe to Leader ReadyCast wherever you get your favorite podcasts and find out more about us at npli.sph.harvard.edu. Follow us on Twitter at HarvardNPLI. Thanks for listening and be ready to lead.